To my right is Bounty Law Series lead and Jake Cahill himself, Rick Dalton. And to my left is Rick's stunt double, Cliff Booth. So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a, a lot of dangerous stuff. <laughs> Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? That's yeah, about right. Super happy to be here with uh, comedian Mike Cetera from the Los Angeles area. Thanks hey, for what's up? Down. Thanks for having me. So I believe, I know that you're a huge cinephile. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is that your favorite movie? Of the I would year? say that was my favorite movie of uh, 2019, and I'll stand by it. Uh, it was, I don't think it was the, the first time I saw it. I'm like, this will probably be up there, but then I saw it a few more times. I'm like, ah, this is great. It seems like a movie that actually requires multiple views. I, it gets better uh, each time, I think. What What is it that kind of works for you about the movie? We jump right in. Nice. I like it. <laughs> no messing around. Yeah, this around. Yeah, I'll complete us. What about, uh, I just think it was, it's a kind of a culmination of everything like Tarantino has kind of been developing over the years. Like the code name on the project when they were shooting it was even Magnum Opus. So he's even like aware. He's like, I'm going to combine all the stuff that I've really perfected and just put it all together. Because it's something it's, he says it's his second to last movie he's making before he retires. But I don't believe that. I think... He'll take a break, maybe do like a TV thing, and then he'll be like, all right, fuck it, I'm coming back to make more movies. So that's interesting. You went in the Tarantino direction. So this is definitely like a Tarantino swan song, it feels like. Yeah. Your point. Well, I mean, it has like his stamp all over it. I love the guy. But like, this is like him playing with some of the best toys he usually has. He yeah. gets a lot of great actors in there, but he's playing with like probably, arguably, the two most famous actors right now. Or like two of the biggest like, A-listers. Yeah, and Margot Robbie, too. And she's amazing as well. And she's, like, on the rise. Like, she's on her way to being, like, the next big A-list star. But, like, these days in Hollywood, it's not, like, the 70s or the 60s where there were, like, these huge movie stars where it's, like, name the 10 most famous movie stars. And, like, everybody would say the same 10 names. Nowadays, it's, like, so divided. If you say who are the biggest movie stars, everybody will say somebody else. But I think nobody can argue Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, probably Tom Hanks would be in that class as, like, untouchable A-list movie stars. Then I, then I don't know where to go from there. It does seem to that point like a movie sort of of another era in a lot of ways. So there's sort of the Tarantino piece of it, there's the nostalgia piece of it, and the movie star piece of it. And then I'm curious to hear, too, if living in L.A., if you think that informs your relationship with the movie at all. I mean, this movie is basically a love letter to L.A. in the 60s. So it's basically, they, they decorated everything the way it used to look. I wasn't alive during that time. Uh, I think as far as my take on L.A., yeah, but it, I think it's really like a, a nostalgic look at uh, how L.A. used to be. Almost like a cry for like what L.A. was in the past, like old school Hollywood. The whole thing is even, the whole thing is a fairy tale about like what if something happened that didn't happen, but it's almost like living in the good parts of the old Hollywood and taking out some of the bad stuff. It is. It's definitely wistful for another time. I think the one piece that you just talked about that was missing for me is like my nostalgia just because of my age is like, Sugar Ray or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, where, yeah. I like, like old music. Yeah, like, oh, you call it Sugar Ray old music? Oh, yeah, that, that, that no. old hit Fly by Sugar Ray <laughs> back in the olden days. I like I like 60s old music, but it doesn't carry that nostalgia feeling that I think yeah. is meant to be evoked. Well, I think one of the most nostalgic things in the movie, he's cranking out, like, every time they're in a car, which is a lot. It's, it's There's a lot of driving scenes, which are great, but they're playing little snippets of music, and even radio commercials. Like, he's playing commercials that he remembers that people would remember. So I imagine somebody who was, like, 
18 in 1969 would probably really connect, which are older people now. Uh, even though the movie is like pretty hard R rated, like I feel like those people would be right at home. I'm still right at home because like I love that old, all, all the old romantic old Hollywood stuff. So like I, I've you know all the old movies back then and like all the just uh, the whole culture, the stories. Yeah, it's interesting. There really is somebody for everybody in it, and I think that like before you know we'll get into kind of the the nitty gritty of it, but I think that that's a good lead into the question. Oscar nominations just came out. Yes, I think a lot, a lot of people are pissed. A lot of people are pissed. <laughs> I'm count me among them in a lot of ways, yeah. but. As far as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is this the favorite? I kind of feel like this is the favorite. I thought it deserved, as far as this film, and like I, there's so many other films I saw this year that are amazing that are going to win all sorts of awards. I think this should be uh, a shoe in I think Brad Pitt has it on lock for yeah. Best Supporting Actor. I don't think no that's question. a question. He got the Golden Globe. I think if you go on like Vegas odds, if you bet on him to win, it's like one to like 350, <laughs> which means if you bet a... a, a, a $10,000, you would win $350 or something. I gamble a lot. There's weird numbers. But that means, like, it's it's guaranteed lock. It's like uh, when, like, somebody's, like, in a boxing match and to, to, to win money on the other person, you have to bet, like, 150 to 1 or something. But that that's that's a lock, I think. I think the movie, I don't think it'll win Best Picture. I would like it to, but I don't think it'll win Best Picture. I think it'll probably win Best Screenplay. Okay. Uh, which I think is... I think that'll happen. Did it, did it win Best Screenplay at the Golden Globes? I don't it, remember. It got the, yeah, Quentin got the screenplay. For oh, was that, was that when he made uh, his, his buddy talk? <laughs> yeah, that which is the most Tarantino thing ever to do. For a guy who loves the attention so much, just get up there and whisper in his producer's ear. I'm not talking, you talk. <laughs> just stand in the background, like, fist pumping in the air, looking like a happy kid. He's probably, like, strategically being like, if I talk now, they won't give me an Oscar. I should save it. Yeah, which is, <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Yeah. I'd say the second most Tarantino thing is probably just the endless feet shots in this movie which oh I just, yeah yeah that, that, there's more that. than usual it's almost like a parody of himself he's like here's more feet than normal I think it was completely intentional I think no, no of knows. course it's intentional it's almost like at this point he's like well I'm gonna overdo it if I'm gonna yeah I I think that the I was actually surprised that DiCaprio got the, the nod because I feel like best actor this year is overloaded and as much as I love him and he deserves to be nominated he's he killed it in this movie I think Eddie Murphy should have been nominated I, agree. I think uh, also uh, the guy out uh, from Richard Jewell, uh, Paul, Walker Paul, Paul Walker Hauser, because like, that is a fucking performance. So is DiCaprio. DiCaprio is on fire in this movie, but he's DiCaprio. Like we expect that. Nobody thought like Paul Hauser is gonna come in there and just murder that role. That's a snub in Eddie Murphy. I agree with you completely on Eddie Murphy. I also, you know, hearing you talk about all the gambling odds, it really just bums me out that we can't do an Uncut Gems episode. Oh, dude, I love that too. That was my second favorite movie of the year. And Sandler got snubbed. When else is he going to get the chance to be nominated for the Best Actor? It was a deep year. But that's a good place to go in terms of performances in Leo, who did make the cut. And, like, you know, I think about what makes Best Picture category different than, like, the Best Screenplay category. Because a lot of times it's like, the story is the movie, and if something, I'll watch a movie and be like, that was a great movie, that should win Best Picture, and then I'm just thinking about it more, and I'm like, well, I really just liked the story or something. I feel like the thing about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that I think puts it up there toward the top in terms of Best Picture is that it really truly is excels in most of the categories. And I think that the place you'd probably start is the performances. And with Leo, you know whether or not he should be in the top five, I mean... What I think he should be, but I think he should be joined by like Murphy, Sandler, keep Adam Driver in there, sure. But <laughs> the top ten, ten uh, or twelve. Yeah. Or well, the thing about Best Picture is like they changed it a few years ago, so now instead of like it used to be like a five or six, now it's like well, like sometimes it goes up to fourteen. Yeah. Sometimes I, pictures I up to 10. in that category like don't even like have a fighting chance. It's almost just like well, we want to we want to give you the credit that's due. 
I think this one is one of the front runners. Yeah, I um, totally agree. What would you say is its biggest competition? I didn't look too far into Best Picture who's who had the chance to win. I think I mean 1917 just won. The oh, Golden that's Man. that won the Golden. Well, it won the Golden Globe for Best Dramatic Picture. Uh, yeah, Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time got Best Comedic or Musical. Yeah. Um, 1917, I still have to see. I, I'm being bad at being a... I, there were so many good movies that came out. I saw like 30 movies this holidays, but <laughs> 1917, I gotta see. Um, I gotta see that in like IMAX, surround sound. So, but... So Leo's role, I mean... How, oh yeah, well, I keep getting off topic. No, yeah, let's no, get back no, on. Yeah, I yeah. love it. I love it. Um, well, I think one of the hardest things about making a podcast about seeing every movie is finding other people who have seen, who have seen them. Is, is that, is that the, the theme of this, to, to talk about like every movie ever or of the year? I'm trying to break down every category and then all the best pictures. Oh, nice, lot. Nice. It's pretty ambitious. I don't know. No, you got this. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> this, this movie I could talk about for hours and go off on tangents, but I'm going to try to stay focused. I, I can't wait to see um, the... Uh, Bonus footage. All these movies usually have like the uncut director's cut where there's like an extra like 30 minutes. They were showing it at his theater, like the 30 minute longer version of the movie. I haven't seen it um, online yet. Like when you get the digital download, there's it was just a regular version that I saw the other night. It was like an extra like 25 minutes and I want to see that. I, it's probably completely unnecessary, but it's probably really engaging. Like, I would watch, like, a five-hour version of that movie, now that I've already seen it. You can't come out of the gate with the five-hour version of that movie. It, no, it's interesting that you say that. Yeah, this the original, the first cut of this movie was four hours and 40 minutes. I want to see that. It was actually four hours 40? Because I want to see that cut. They'll probably do on uh, Netflix, even though he hates Netflix, I don't know why he has a deal with Netflix, when um, uh, Hateful Eight uh, had an extra, like, 50 minutes, they, they made it into, like, a miniseries on, for some reason, on, on Netflix... And it was, most of the extra footage was just long shots of the carriage in the snow with like music from the 70, 1970s. I'm like, okay. It's very on brand. It was very, very on brand for Tarantino. He's like, well, if I can't put music in, I'm going to have all these snow scenes where we play 70s music. Uh, and there was some extra dialogue though. Like I want to see more, I guarantee you he let them uh, run crazy. He's usually pretty tied to his script, but I feel like when you have DiCaprio, DiCaprio, uh, the scene where he's uh, in the trailer yelling at himself, that was improvised. He asked Tarantino if he could do that scene, and Tarantino's like, all right, we'll, we'll shoot it both ways. We'll let you do that. And then he's like, as soon as he started doing it, he's like, oh, I knew that was going to the movie. And that's one of the best character moments. I think that's the scene. I think if you were like, sum up Rick Dalton in a, in a scene, that's that's the scene for sure. That, it's, it's great. And then he comes right back and just nails it on set. Genius. DiCaprio's always been like that. Like, there is. Have you ever heard of this, this movie that him and his buddies made that he tried to get band or they sued to not have it released. It was like Tobey Maguire's in it. It's called Don's Plum. I have heard of it, but I've never it, seen it. It's on YouTube. Watch it because wow. it's, it's a terrible movie. But DiCaprio, even as like, when he's like 18 or 17 when he's shooting it, he's running circles around them. It makes Tobey Maguire look like a complete amateur. Uh, and he just like, I think they improvise half the movie. So it's basically like their version of Clerks. It's in like black and white. It's about like the, what do they call them? Like the pussy posse or whatever. <laughs> All their friends. And they just hang out at this diner one night. Uh, after like they're it's just them it's just long dialogue but I think it's like 90% improvised and apparently they had everybody on set for like two or three weeks they had DiCaprio for like two or three days but he's the lead of the movie like he's carrying the movie but he's definitely making everything up it's interesting that's yeah. all I'll say but that, it's, on, it's online that sounds crazy I will definitely watch that once I get through whatever 50 plus movies yeah, 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 right. I mean, there. It, it's, it's, a, it's an easy watch I think it's like 80 something minutes and it goes by pretty fast but it, it basically it looks like they're trying to do what Clerks did uh, but they're not. The filmmaker isn't like as talented as Kevin Smith. But DiCaprio <laughs> is so talented, it makes the movie watchable. If he wasn't in it, there would be no movie. 
I think from that respect, in a year that's so deep in actor, I mean, it is tough having Leo in there in some respects if if there are other performances that feel like they should be over him. But he's such a generational actor that he really does fit in this class of a year where it's just like movie stars after movie stars. Probably the deepest actor and supporting actor year in the history of the Oscars. Yeah. Well, I also feel like DiCaprio's at this point in his career where he's only making like one movie a year and he's very specific about what he chooses. Some of these other guys that are, I would say, A-list stars, Brad Pitt seems like he'll do anything. Like, they're like, hey, Brad Pitt, do this. I'm like, all right, yeah, let's go. He's in, like, six movies a year. Um, and he's always great. But DiCaprio, I feel like, is at the point where he's only shooting one movie a year, uh, which is also adds to the mystique. Similar actors that do that, um, you only see them once a year, you know that it's going to be a good movie. I don't think if I could pick out one scene for Brad Pitt, he, he pretty much... Oh, he's putting on a clinic. Yeah. Uh, the whole movie. I, I think you could probably pick out... A, I mean, no, it's so many good scenes. But the scene where he fights Bruce Lee is pretty classic. And then... Just his dialogue as, like, in contrast with DiCaprio. They look like they were having a blast, too. Oh, they, they have to. Like they were having so much fun. And, it, and I love when they, they Mystery Science 3000, the uh, the FBI episode, where they're just sitting there. I feel like they Tarantino's just like, just just watch this and just make fun of it. And then they probably put all that in. That has to be improvised, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's classic, too. But it seems so... On point. That's an underrated one. The scenes in the trailer with his dog, too, when he's just, like, feeding his dog and commanding him. I don't know. It's a dog owner. Oh, yeah. I was like, I wish I could get my dog to behave like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and then the Spawn Ranch scene. I mean, that... The oh, that, that, there's a, that's scene. one of my favorite scenes in the movie, because there's always a couple of scenes like that in the recent Tarantino films, like The Tension. The Tension's like, uh, unbelievable. There's, like, eight scenes of that in, like, Inglorious Bastards. There's, like, eight scenes where your heart's, like, about to beat out of your chest, and he really plays at the pacing. That scene was so good. Some people said it was out of place in the movie. I'm like, no, 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 that's no. freaking awesome. It's the one time you really see these two worlds collide before the end of the movie. I think that the the way that this movie, when I said it like really needs to be rewatchable or it almost, you, you almost can't just watch it one time because I think that the there's big stretches of this movie that I sort of didn't get when I first saw it. Like I, the, I agree. The, the long like western shoots and stuff you're like where is he going with this and then you kind of walk in knowing that this is about loosely about Sharon Tate mm-hmm. and so anytime that Charles Manchin shows up or when you're at Spawn Ranch you kind of perk up and I think that when once you kind of understand what Quentin Tarantino is doing that goes away but the first time you watch the movie the Spawn Ranch stuff works I think the first time I saw it, I left the theater thinking it was a little uneven pacing-wise, and I probably said, oh, it's probably my, my sixth favorite Tarantino movie. I'd probably make it, say now it's like probably my third favorite movie of his. I'd put it behind uh, Pulp Fiction and Inglorious Bastards. Got it. Well, and you know what? I, I just realized, too, when we start talking about the Spawn Ranch scene, here, uh, you know, pretty far into the podcast, I guess I'll, I'll caveat that, you know, we have a bunch of po- uh, podcasts that talk about different categories, and I try to keep it high level, but this is a... Oscar completest podcast. So if you haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, pause the podcast. Oh, go yeah. watch it. Yeah, come we're back. Spoiling. Well, I'm, I'm, we're spoiling it. We're spoiling it. Now we're gonna spoil it harder. I was like dancing around. We danced around the wording, so but yeah, we'll we'll spoil it now. So you're about to get spoiled, son. <laughs> um, they they shot a, a big chunk of the movie. I work over at Universal on the the lot. I, I give I walk people around this movie studio. They were there for about two months, uh, very secretive. But we would see like DiCaprio out there. Uh, but like Tarantino is always like keeping things secret like he won't wave you know like some of the productions will like wave at people they're like off doing their own thing did you know what parts of the movie they were filming yeah yeah Um, at Universal they shot all the when he goes to film Lancer um, the the TV show he does in the middle with like Timothy Olyphant and Luke Perry all the scenes 
for that 45 minute chunk of the movie we're at Universal including inside there's a saloon on their old western streets um, the Spawn Ranch was done at Paramount's Ranch because uh, it's a lot more like abandoned out there and it kind of you can do like horseback scenes over there they were literally there for like two or three months at Universal and they shot about 45-50 minutes of the movie there uh, and it looks just like it if you take the tram tour there or if you go take like a tour where you're walking around the sets it looks the exact same because it already is a movie studio lot playing a movie studio lot and it's one of the most old-fashioned sets there my buddy walked DiCaprio around one day he had the day off so there he's like well I'm gonna take one of these VIP walking tours and I'm gonna go see uh, and apparently the whole day he's just like rubbing his hands and my buddy said hey man you want ice what's wrong with your hands and they're all burned and DiCaprio said I'm fine but uh, Tarantino makes me do all my own flamethrower stunts <laughs> so in the movie Rick Dalton does his own stunts but but DiCaprio as Rick Dalton is doing all his own flamethrower stunts. That's unbelievable. Tarantino makes his actors do some pretty crazy stunt shit. Like, he loves to stunts. Uh, you can't have your phones on set either. Like, if anybody has a phone, they're fired immediately, whether they're, like, the lead actor or just some, some random extra. But, like, he'll talk people into doing some... I think Uma Thurman and him had, like, a long-time beef because they used, they used to be his go-to actress, but I think he made her do some stunt that got her injured, and then she was pissed. But I think they're friends again now, but that used, that's why she hasn't been in his movies recently. It's ironic, too, in all movies, of, of any movie, like, basically ever, that this would be a movie that doesn't use stunt people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was a little bit weird in the beginning of the movie, DiCaprio is stuttering a lot, but that really kind of goes away. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if that's, like, how he feels, if he's uncomfortable, if that's a choice, that when his character feels out of place, the more naturally he starts to feel towards the end, he gets his, his groove back, he stops stuttering. That's interesting that you, that's your experience on the, kind of, whatever, fifth or sixth time watching it, because... For, for me, I wondered if it was just me. If it's like, I'm looking at Leonardo DiCaprio, but he sounds different, and I have to get used to it. <laughs> I, no, I think it's watching it, like, I've seen it like three or four times. I think watching it the second time, I was like, oh, that's a choice. Because at the beginning, he's like very, very like st- stuttering over all, all of his words. And then by the end of the movie, he's not. I think it's got to be like a, a symbolic of like uh, him getting his groove back and just getting into the zone of things. Got it. Well, we talked Leo, we talked Brad Pitt. Obviously... Margot Robbie sitting in the Fox Village Theater. I think that's probably, that's the scene there. That's a great scene. Also, a lot of people were getting mad like she didn't have a lot of dialogue. But I thought that was the mysteriousness of the character. Some like female friends were like, oh, this is just a bunch of, it's just glorifying all the dudes. I'm like, yeah, but she has so much more intrigue the less she says. If she was having all these monologues, it wouldn't be the same character. Tarantino does this, and it's interesting because it's the same guy who made Jackie Brown. But... There was definitely people that were upset about various aspects of this movie. Margot Robbie's level of dialogue, Brad Pitt's character backstory. Which is hilarious. He's the most likable character in the movie, and they just cut away to like him may or may not have murdered his wife. Yeah, I, th- I feel like this is the movie, or this is at least one of the movies this year that's going to have that conversation around it. I don't think it's going to have as much controversy. I don't think it should. It might. The cycle might have happened already. I thought it was just a really big year for movies. Huge so I, year. people are getting all these snubs, but like I feel like there's more good movies that came out than usual. I could be wrong, but I feel like it was 2019 was a great movie year. I think it's the best. Like any I've other year, like some of these snubs would be not only nominated but winning. Maybe not any other year, but of the last five years, there's a couple of years you could put in uh, some of these films and some of these best actors, and they would definitely be the heavy favorite. And also, I don't even understand why Scorsese's like, I hate Netflix, don't watch on Netflix, but I've made a deal to sell my movie to Netflix. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what? Just double down on something. Like, you're selling out, but you're mad at yourself for selling out? Yeah, I look forward to his superhero movie next year. I, I, I would die 
or even if they just got him to make a cameo, like like a Stan Lee style cameo, just sitting at the bar rolling his eyes. He probably wouldn't, but it would be hilarious. It's like one of his buddies directed a superhero movie and just got him to make that cameo. Sorry, we're getting off topic. Can we go back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? That's all right. Once, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, so we kind of talked Leo. We talked Brad Pitt. We talked Margot Robbie. Any other performances jump out at you? You mentioned the Pacino. I, I enjoyed Pacino. He's basically just doing like an old Jewish producer voice. He's like, I saw you in this movie. <laughs> he's basically doing like a character like Adam Sandler used to do on albums. That's what he's doing. He's doing like an old Sandler character, but it's 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 well done. It's it's a quick like it's an over the top performance on purpose. That's yeah. the role he was doing. That um, it's classic turn. I thought the uh, some of the people uh, on the the people in the Colts were great. Uh, do, do, you, do you know the name? You don't know the name of the the, the woman who plays Pussycat? You can pull her name up because I got she she deserves credit. She kills it in this, and she's definitely got a good career coming. I was gonna say I'll just uh, IMDb that shit. I'll just IMDb it and then I'll <laughs> I'll roll it back so that you can just like know. Well, I don't I don't need to sound expert. You you can leave in this part where we're googling <laughs> it. Leave it in. That's I I'm sometimes bad with names. So on the podcast, this will probably be edited out. But I just know that it, there was a long pause of searching for names. Oh, okay. So yeah, I thought er- Margaret Qualley plays Pussycat. She's great. She's got a long career ahead of her. I thought everybody just really fit in so naturally. I didn't even. For, I forgot Emil Hirsch was even in this. He does really, such a good job as that character. So he's a friend, and then anything makes a joke. Well, she has, she has uh, at least she has a type. Uh, what does he say? Like, uh, sh- uh, short guys who are talented but look like children. Yeah, that was funny. But yeah, everybody's just, yeah. Emil Hirsch does a great job. The girl who uh, who holds her own with DiCaprio, uh, with her name is apparently uh, Julia Butters. She plays the character who's like reading the books, and then they're talking about that's that's one of my favorite scenes too. I love. It's the also comments. a long take. It's it's like one take. So you're watching this. Um, all the scenes with that girl are shot in like one long take. When he's on the porch, and also when he's inside the saloon. So that girl is just killing it, and I, you're just waiting for her to be like, all right, she she might not be as good because they're doing this in a long take, and that's freaking Leonardo DiCaprio. But she she nails it. I love the comment that she makes where she says that the word actress is a non is like mm-hmm. not, doesn't mean anything. It's like. I, you know, I'm like 35 years old. I literally have never thought about that before. And he said that, and I was like, whoa. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, her performance is great. Margaret Qualley is great. Everybody just everybody does a good job. Uh, the guy who played Tex, Austin Butler, he's great. Dakota Bruce, Fanning, The Bruce Dern role was supposed to go to uh, Burt Reynolds. You know I think that? I read that. I, Bruce Dern did a great job. And it's such, an, it's such a quick role. It's like it didn't really matter who did it. But, like, I think Tarantino wanted to throw uh, one role to Burt Reynolds before Burt Reynolds passed away. But he didn't get to do it in time. But... It's, it's, anybody could have done that role, but it was, it's such a great scene. Once again, that Spawn Ranch scene. He's good. I'm just looking at his cast list. I'm just remembering the whole, every character, nobody seemed forced in the movie. Did anybody seem out of place? No, I think Dakota Fanning's another one that, um, I think had a nice little Yeah, yeah. All, all the people that are in the cult, even the, some people were like, oh, I don't like some of those actresses. Uh, they were still natural. Uh, they were killing it. Um, what's her name? The, from Girls, uh. Some people hate... Oh, Lena Dunham. Uh, Lena Dunham, but her character was just an unlikable character that you were supposed to not like anyway, so I'm like, perfect. It's not like she's like <laughs> playing some like endearing character. She's playing like a cultist who we're supposed to hate from the minute we see her. So, good. The guy who Brad Pitt beats up did a great job, too. I wanted to punch that guy. Oh, yeah, that was a nice... Yeah, like, that's... I love in movies when you want something to happen and it freaking happens. So, a lot of times in movies, you're like, punch that dude in the face. And then nothing happens and the scene ends and that character just gets to get away with stuff. And this movie, like, anything you want it to happen, happened. Especially at the end. It's, it's it's so good. It's just like, I want that character to get punched in the face right now. He's getting punched in the face right now? Perfect. 
Yeah, let's talk about the ending. So, I think, I mean, it's pretty clear what Tarantino was was trying to do, at least in my mind. He's trying to he's trying to kind of mourn the end of an era and use this kind of singular event to show that, you know, what was called sort of the end of the 60s happen or not, you know, you kind of know that the world's still going to change. Mm-hmm. But what how did you feel about the direction that he went with it? I thought it was amazing. So I think with Tarantino, we've seen in the past that he can just uh, revisionist history, just do whatever the hell he wants. So you really don't know what's going to happen. The way I see the movie and the way it was probably pitched is what if. It's a what if movie. It's what if instead of going into the house of like a happy, naive, living the life, young actress on the rise. That night, the, the cult went into the house of two unhinged people at the end of their career who are willing to do anything. So that's very well could have happened in real life. If you have an innocent person who is so happy and so on cloud nine, like she's always listening to the music and it's always drowning out everything. She's just dancing the whole time. So she doesn't even like hear them come in. Almost the first time that they come to the door, she's off in her own world. This is two unhinged people who are just getting batshit drunk because their career is on the down low, but they're just like accepting it. So they're completely unhinged. So what if the cult goes into that house instead of going into... Um, Sharon Tate's house, what would have actually happened? And I think that's kind of the crux of what the movie is built around. And there's lots of other stuff happening too, but that's really the, the main point. And it d- delivers so well on that front. Because the whole movie, you're hanging out with these guys, you're like, these guys don't give a crap about anything. Like, they, they are like, especially after that whole coming back from Europe, uh, they're like, all right, I'm risking a party tonight and not care about anything else that happens. And then the they come into that house and that's the wrong house to go into. Because even in the same movie, even in this movie, if they never went into that house... They would have just completely done what they did in real life. Did you think the first time you watched the movie, and he sort of he he he, kept, he does the last part really quick. It's like you've seen kind of whatever two hours of film. Mm-hmm. He then kind of does a narration where there's really no other narration in the movie. Yeah, well, that's a Tarantino staple. Uh, all his movies just have a narration that comes out of nowhere just to explain something. It's almost like he does it every time on purpose. And he uses they did it in that. Hateful Eight too. They're like that. the narrator comes in the middle. He's like. Here's what they don't know. This cup is poison. What? I'm like, what? And it's always Kurt Russell. This one, it's Kurt Russell. I don't remember if it was Kurt Russell in the last one. This comes in, he's like, setting up everything. It just tells the audience, here's what you need to know that's going to make this great. And then they're really just playing with uh, what you know happens in real life. I feel like now that they're really overhanding this setup, she's. you start to feel before it happens, oh, I bet you he pulls the rug out. She's not going to. Well, that was going to be my question. So is that I did feel thought? really worried the first time I saw it for Rick Dalton. When he goes out there, when he's drinking the margaritas out of the blender, which is hilarious, uh, and he's yelling at them, I actually felt worried for his character. I'm glad, and we've already said spoilers, that none of the good guys die. Like, I really felt genuinely worried. I'm like, one of, Cliff Booth could die. Like, this could be, like, how it ends, but didn't. Interesting. So, as they start doing that setup, as they're, like, going through the narration and you're seeing them at the restaurant... To me, I still think this is going to end the way it actually ended. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting pretty scared to see this on camera because it was such a violent, horrible mm-hmm. act. When it then doesn't happen, the first time I really... I didn't I didn't get it. I was sort of like, what is he trying to do here? Like, that was pretty crazy. I felt some relief, but also, like, I didn't get it. And then I feel like when I stepped away and I really read and I processed it and I thought about what he was trying to accomplish... This is the only way that you can make this movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think you could have actually ended it the real way. But I... And it wouldn't have meant anything. I thought 
the reason I was so concerned was like I thought like what if like she doesn't get murdered but the other people get murdered you know yeah like, maybe this is like they go out in like a blaze of glory they did go out in a blaze of glory literally uh, but the good guys all survived so I thought it was just gonna end with like she survives and then they don't but they're happy they're content with dying so I, I was getting dark vibes when I was watching I'm like come on come on come on come on come on don't don't die and then it just ended it's a fairy tale it's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah but that's how I felt. The first time I was genuinely nervous. That's how much I cared about the characters. Uh, and then the second and third time you watch, it's just fun because you know what's about to happen. It's great. Yeah. And it's he, still and unsettling. Even at the end, like when it's, it seems like they got, they're playing creepy music. There's like that overhead shot where they, they finally meet the neighbors and they hang out. They go inside. I'm like, why does it still sound so scary? Please don't kill her yourselves. But then, then the, the credits started rolling. I'm like, yes, that could not have gone better. It was great. Yeah, and it's and I think that the kind of the end is meant to be unsettling, like just in the in the sense that that event I think historically has been used as sort of the excuse of like this changed everything or this changed Hollywood or this ended the era. Mm-hmm. And I think what he's saying is that you can take this event away, but you know that the Mansons are still out there. The world is still gonna change. People like like Rick Dalton still are falling out of relevance. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's sort of the double... I think he he wants you to stay uneasy. At least that was my reading of the movie. Yeah. I, I can see that. So we're, talk, we're talking about your uh, best scenes. The ending is up there. The Spawn Ranch scene is amazing. Uh, just the, the when he's in the trailer is amazing. When he's on set, the whole chunk of the movie where it's like you go away from uh, everybody else except for Rick Dalton for like a good 45-minute chunk and you kind of live with him in the moment. Uh, that's happening at the same time Spawn Ranch is happening. So he's on the set for uh, for shooting Lancer, and then they cut to the Spawn Ranch team and they come back. You really get to see the characters split up, which is a nice little touch, how they handle things on their own without the other one, because the rest of the movie, Cliff Booth is right by Rick Dolan's side. That's the one time you really see him by himself. Yeah, the entire that's movie. interesting. So it's the only time they get separated, uh, other than like being in the other room for one another. Uh, I also... Uh, I thought the whole narrating montage at the end when they're just explaining the Italian films was just great and it kind of kept it going because the whole movie it's a day in a life movie the whole movie really takes place over one long day and then they come back for one night uh, a few years later or six months later it's the kind of movie where you're like really hanging out with these characters for the whole day uh, like a Richard Linklater style where you just really get to know these characters over the course of one long day and you love them like I could watch a TV show of these characters doing this every fucking week but you get them for the one long day and then they, they do the narration to show time passing and they come back for the, the final night which is I, I loved everything about this movie I could talk about this I'm trying to think if there's anything I didn't like I just love the nostalgia I wasn't even around for it but I feel like just hearing all the, the music and like seeing all, all the old TV shows and they're pretty on point um, recreations like when they do the apparently there's a full 30 minute episode floating around a bounty law that I hope is on some Blu-ray Oh, because wow. they, they show like a good like six minutes of the show and they had that old school they would always cut to commercial after like something silly the, the look at the camera the shadow uh, I want to see a 30-minute cut of that. Yeah, I feel like that makes total sense to me that that exists. Yeah. I, I talked, um, I, you know, I haven't recorded that many episodes yet, so I keep going back to the same conversation, but like the um, sound editing conversation that I had, they talked about the process to sort of like vintageize sounds to make it sound mm-hmm. like it was taking place in the 60s. Obviously, the selection of like all the commercials and the music that they chose was of the era, but they actually ran it through like a machine to make it have the audio quality that you would have expected from that time. Oh, that's really cool. 
he just captures he definitely he definitely sets a scene there's no question um that he's that he builds a a world um and then it's kind of interesting to see what he does within it i also love hearing like the old like jingles at one point they played like the the nbc sound which i think they still use for the news today like boom 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 but hearing it like through that filter you mentioned just coming out of the radio or the tv it just feels like yeah you're back in the past and they, they shot in regular Hollywood just by dressing up. They, they changed a lot of the outsides of buildings. But, like, it feels like you're in the 60s. It's not like they had a closed-off set to do whatever they wanted. They went on the real Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, and they really just, like, redid it for, like, a day or two. They made everything look different. And there's so many scenes of driving past all this stuff, but you don't feel like you're in the modern times. Nothing really gives it away. So they really pretty thorough on uh, the production design as far as the sound design. So the production design is just brilliant because it feels like you're in the 60s. Even when you have all these long, steady driving shots, it never feels like you're... I'm always like looking for like a modern car or something silly in the background, but you just didn't see it. At least that I saw. So last question. What do you want to see from Quentin's 10th final film? Well, for a while he said it was going to be a Star Trek film, but I guess he decided not to do that. It sounds like that's not going to happen. I've, I get the vibe, and I feel like his he's going to do his 10th movie, then he's going to do um, TV miniseries stuff. Which is almost like what he's doing with movies anyway. I get the vibe he'll retire from movies, but he'll do like some HBO miniseries or some like online thing where you're watching like 50 minute episodes of something. Maybe that's when he'll do his Star Trek. Maybe he'll do something a little bit darker. And then I bet you he comes back like five years after that and it's like, all right, I'm making the movies again. He'll start with like Kill Bill 3 or something. Seems like somebody who can't sit on his hands. No, I, I don't think so. But he's he's... He's very out there. Like, he'll go into midnight screenings of all of his own movies and just hang out in the back and see how people react. He, this, so this one was, as I said, what he called the magnum opus as the code name. So clearly that's, he was putting it all out there. He might do something crazy weird for his 10th movie. It might just be something like a little bit of a departure. Because if he already did, like, what I would consider his culmination film right here, it had all his motifs and all of his favorite people, uh, I'm, I'm sure his 10th film will have to have uh, Sam Jackson in it. I haven't seen one of his films without Samuel Jackson in a minute. Um, I bet you Samuel Jackson will be in the next one. So he's leaving a legacy. I don't know. What do you think he's going to do for a 10th movie? This really does seem like he, like, meant to have this be his 10th movie. Yeah. I think he was just so excited that he just made it anyways. He's like, I should say this for the 10th, but I'm going to do this right now. We got to go. I'm sure that he can come up with something, but I wonder if he wait, if he waits for the right thing. Like, if he, if he starts writing and then in five years he's landed at a place where he feels like he can... Because a lot of his movies have been like sitting around for a minute. Like some of yeah. like his recent movies, he's been shopping for like twelve years. But he could at any minute make them. He just chose not to. I feel like this one he was sitting on for a while. Yeah, this one seems certainly like a culmination of his of his life. Well, Mike, I appreciate the time to uh, to break it down. Yeah, dude, thanks for having me on. Sorry for so much rambling about uh, the movie. I highly recommend the movie. No, they've probably it's... seen it if they're if they're listening to this. You still you still came in in less than less than half the time of. Uh, of the actual movie, so... Yeah! (laughs) Um, Cool, well, thanks again. Of course.